Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Off the Beaten Track, a podcast that highlights local racetracks, drivers, owners, and more. To join the show live, call 646-668-8461. That's 646-668-8461. And now, here's your host, they call him the NASCAR guy, Nate Webster. And welcome to this episode of Off the Beaten Track. My host tonight is the um, general manager of um, New England Dragway up in Epping, New Hampshire. His name is Joe Lombardo. Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks, Nate. Glad to be on. So, Joe, talk about the types of racing that you run at New England Dragway. Do you have racing for all age groups? Yeah, we do. Actually, uh, the youngest group starts uh, at five years old in our junior dragster program. And, of course, we get people well into their uh, 60s and 70s that run uh, through a variety of different categories. And the type of racing really goes from junior dragsters in those uh, cars that run basically a Briggs and Stratton-style engine up to the top fuel cars that you see with the uh, NHRA Pro Circuit, which comes to us June 2nd through the 4th. Mm-hmm. That's the NHRA Nationals. It is, yep. It's the Mellow Yellow Nationals, and that's, this will be the fifth year for it. Uh, it's been a great show, and it's just amazing to see the, the work the crews do to go ahead and get those cars together, uh, what they do to keep them going. The speeds that they put down the track are phenomenal. I mean, you know, 330-plus miles an hour in less than four seconds. Uh, it's one of those things where it really hits all the senses. You know, you can see it, you can smell it, you can hear it, you can feel it, obviously. Uh, it's just a great time to be a, a drag racing fan. And um, with the bigger NASCAR track seeing fan attendance and interest dropping in the sport, do you see drag racing interest in- increasing? I do, and for a couple of different reasons. Um, the national event, you know, it grows every year. We've seen about a 5% growth each year that has come about uh, since we started it, which is great. Uh, but the thing that really helps drag racing in general is the fact that anybody can come to one of our street night programs, say on a Wednesday or a Friday night, and they can try their own car. And it doesn't really matter what kind of car it is. We get everything from Volkswagens up until uh, some of the you know the later model now uh, high-end muscle cars. So pretty much right. any kind of car you can see in the street will come ahead and go ahead and race with us during our street night programs on Wednesday and Friday. Mm-hmm. And tell people about something you guys have that's uh, kind of your own called the list uh, and about the drivers that made it to the top of the list in the 2016 season. Yeah. Um, the, what the list is, is that on a Wednesday night, we'll go ahead and have an open competition. And uh, basically, a driver who thinks he can beat the person in front of him will go ahead and call that driver out. And they'll do a heads-up race on the track. There's uh, no Christmas tree. It's called Instant Green off a of pro tree, basically. Um, and they just run through the track, and they run through the eighth mile. And whoever comes away with the best elapsed time uh, in the mile an hour is the one that winds up taking that spot. A lot of times we see those things shuffle around quite a bit. Before somebody can go ahead and claim the next spot, 
say, for instance, the number 10 guy wants to get to the number 8 guy, well, he's got to go through number 9 first to go ahead and get there and just hope he has enough right. power uh, to get that down the track. Yep. Uh, the MHRA Summit Junior Racing League is celebrating a milestone this year. Talk about that and the kids that participate in that. Well, what's interesting about that, it was started in Englishtown uh, in New Jersey uh, back in the uh, the early 90s. And it was done really as a, as a way for Vinnie Knapp to go ahead and let one of his kids go ahead and try racing. And he figures, well, you know what? People do this in go-karts. Why not go ahead and build a scale model of a dragster? Uh, so that's what he did. And within the first year, he realized he was on to something here, pitched the idea to uh, NHRA, who adopted it, as a way to go ahead and grow the sportsman ranks. Of course, what's happened over the years, Nate, is that we see a lot of those kids that raced in junior dragsters go into the pro ranks now. Leah Pritchett's a good example of that. She runs in top fuel. Erica Enders runs in the... Uh, the uh, pro stock program so it has really turned into a feeder program into all the categories not just the sportsman ranks right and i the name eric and erica enders rings a bell too as far as one of the top names in the sport uh in that area so yeah she has she's won two pro stock championships for nhra uh, the first woman to go ahead and do that in that particular category, which is a very difficult category to compete in, for her to go ahead and uh, put the crew together and then have the driving skills to make it work for really speaks to the success of, of teaching people how to drive these cars early on. And now the two, the new 2017 Pro Rules have been released. What type of changes in the rule books versus last year's rules? Not an awful lot. Um, they're changing a few things uh, for the funny cars to go ahead and make them a little more stable down the track because, of course, they are a tough car to handle. Uh, you know, you're talking a, a bodied car, basically, that can go 330 miles an hour. So they're, they're making some aerodynamic changes to that. But by and large, the program is pretty much staying the same. Uh, they did make some major changes for Pro Stock back in 2016. Those will continue. And so that the cars look more like the everyday production car that you could buy off the showroom floor. Right. Uh, and the junior division it has its own set of rules, too, I believe. They do. Uh, the five-year-old class, they can't compete side by side. They can only run by themselves. Once they hit six years old, we have two categories at the track for them. We have junior B and we have junior A. And it allows the kids six through eight go ahead and compete in junior B, they're not going against the people that have been racing for, say, five or six years, and gives them a chance to, to get their feet wet, so to speak, and understand what junior drag racing is all about, give them a chance of winning a championship, and it prepares them for when they go into the junior A category, which is much more intense, and the cars get an awful lot quicker then. Right. Um, who came up with a slogan, built by racers, for racers? <laughs> that came up... Um, when the New England Hot Rod Council was disbanding. And what that was is a group comprised of all the local hot rod clubs in Massachusetts, uh, some in Maine, some in New Hampshire, uh, a couple in Rhode Island. And they knew that they couldn't race up at Sanford anymore, so they had to build their own racetrack. And that's where mm -hmm. they coined the phrase built by racers for racers because all these racers came together. They put uh, all their resources together, pitched in as much as they could with their specific skill set, and built New England Dragway. And it continues on today, 50 years later. 
Wow. Um, has the track ever gone through a repave or a reconstruction? Lots of times. Um, we've gone through an awful lot of changes, of course, with the NHRA. Um, back in 2012, we converted it to an all-concrete race surface, which means that we went out beyond the quarter mile, probably about 60 mm-hmm. feet beyond that, and made it all concrete. That did a couple of things. Number one, it took away the, the constant need for maintaining asphalt, which, you know, every four or five years you have to do something with that. By having the concrete down there, that can last for 20 to 25 years, uh, but it gives the racers a much more consistent surface to compete on, and it's much easier to go ahead and groom and take care of on a weekly basis. Right. That was that the was concrete. As far as the being, race surface goes. Yeah. Yeah, the concrete being uh, a lot easier to maintain than the asphalt because when you get into um, you know stopping power and when you get into like uh, you know starting up on you know a concrete surface versus an asphalt surface. It's a lot harder to um a lot harder to get your to get your um your wheels like uh to grip, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot it's a lot easier to go ahead and groom that track and prepare it because they use traction compound to go ahead and help those tires adhere. Um they're constantly groaning. We have to scrape it every so often to get the excess rubber off. Uh so it leaves mm-hmm. just a very, yeah. very thin film of rubber on there, but it does make it tighter. And then last year of course, because of the national event we added another 5,000 seats, which just attests to the fact that the sport is continuing to grow. And it was the first time that we extended beyond 15 rows. Typically, all of our grandstands prior to this had been 15 rows. We put in a 30-row set of grandstands in last year, and it was a big success, and it gives you a phenomenal view of the racetrack. Now, that's a good segue into my next question. Before the grandstands were redone, the track used had used bleachers. Where did you where did you get those from? Those bleachers came from Brandeis University back in the uh, the mid '60s, and they were used then. Uh-huh. And when I was talking about how all the people came together to go ahead and build the racetrack, what they did is they looked around and they said, "Does anybody know you know a place that has grandstands for sale?" But one of the racers happened to know the people out at Brandeis, knew they were selling their grandstands, made a deal to go ahead and get those. And basically the deal was you take them apart, you put them on your truck, and you truck them wherever you have to truck them, and that's going to be the cost of your grandstands. Now, those have long since gone away. We've replaced them now with, with a modern-style grandstand. They were all aluminum uh, bleachers or all aluminum footsteps and all aluminum seats. Uh, and then, of course, you have a galvanized steel structure. So we've really come into the, you know, the, the modern age with our seating capacity. Right. Um, how many years have the New England Nationals been held at the track in June? Well, this is our fifth year. Uh, they started in June of uh, 2013, and they've gone. We've we've moved a little bit around in the month of June, just to go ahead and accommodate the school season and so on. Uh, but I expect that they'll continue to be in June for probably the next 15 years. And um, talk about your Super Pro Eliminator sponsor. Is it a local company that people are very familiar with? They should be. Red Shoe Barn uh, is a, a shoe distributor, a shoe seller. They have two stores, one in Dover, one in Plastow. Uh They are very well known. I get my stuff there because I, I like the New Balance style, and they have New Balance shoes. Uh, and it's, yeah. it speaks a lot about the fact that 
that were noticed not by those that are just traditional companies that would sponsor motorsports, like, say, a parts company or an oil company. It's somebody that's outside that circle of motorsports, so to speak. They realize the value uh, that's associated with a racetrack and the diversity of the clientele that comes in there so that they know that they can hit a broad spectrum of fans and, and you know, demonstrate their wares to them. Mm-hmm. Um, where do people find out about more about the track and the events, and where do they go to buy tickets? Well, they can they can go on to NewEnglandDragway.com. Uh, our full schedule is listed there, along with any rules that somebody might need to know about if they want to come up and participate in a street night. Uh, if they want to buy tickets, they can go through that same site, NewEnglandDragway.com. And then if they want to talk to somebody about the track, of course, we're open five days a week during the off-season, which is going on right now. Uh, And then we do a number of shows, too. We have somebody going up to a a show, a motorsports expo in Portland this weekend. And, of course, we have our big show coming up at the end of March at the uh, World Trade Center, where we'll have a full display there. We'll have about seven or eight cars on display. We'll have the full schedule. It's all printed, ready to go for somebody just to go ahead and pick up. And then if they want to learn more about the sport in general, we have a couple of people that will be there, including myself, that can go ahead and talk to them about what we do, uh, what the safety requirements are, and uh, how they can have fun just coming out to the racetrack and trying out their machine. It sounds like a great track, a great family event, and I'm looking forward to you possibly coming up this year to uh, attend one of the events in 2017, either the Grand Nationals or the Lucas Oil um, competition. And um, I appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, Joe Lombardo from uh, New England Dragway, thanks for being off the beaten track tonight. Okay, Nate, thanks for having me on board. This has been Off the Beaten Track, a podcast on Blog Talk Radio. To have your track, team, or racing event on our show, just email otbtpodcast at gmail.com. That's otbtpodcast at gmail.com. Or check us out on Facebook at Off the Beaten Track. Thanks for listening. 